Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we're concluding our series, Lessons for the Church. So turning your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 to 30, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, The Church, an Outpost Colony. Let's begin by reading our text. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Now, I've entitled today's message, The Church and Outpost Colony. So what do I have in mind and what do I see in this passage that makes me think that this is the theme of what we've just read? Well, I took this title from the first several words of verse 27. Notice the first word in what we read is the word only. The Greek word is monon, and it means only. Nothing unusual here except the word means not just only, but also the only entity in its class. Now, why is that important? You remember that up till now in our study of Philippians, Paul, who's in prison, is telling this church in Philippi how he's doing. He's been faithful to Christ in his imprisonment. The gospel is advancing and he's filled with joy. Now, having described this situation to them, he now has something he wants to say. In verse 27, the theme of Philippians moves from Paul describing his situation to Paul now describing the situation of the Philippians. It turns out that just like Paul, the Philippians are also suffering for the gospel. Paul has something he wants to teach them about that. And it turns out he's just one thing he wants to teach them. He says, monon, or only, or there's but one thing I want to tell you, just one thing. So you want to listen to what I say. In fact, everything else in this Philippian letter from chapter 1, verse 27, right to the end of the book, is an elaboration of just one thing that he wants them to know. So what is that one thing? It is only this, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Okay, but notice the phrase, let your manner of life. In the original, that entire phrase, those five English words are carried by just one Greek word. And interestingly enough, Paul uses that one word later in chapter 3, verse 20. There he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Yep, that's the word citizenship. So in chapter 1, verse 27, we could well translate it this way. Only let your citizenship be worthy of the gospel. Now, I don't think that the use of this word citizenship would have been lost on the Christians living in Philippi. Philippi, even though it was a Greek city, was also a Roman colony in which the citizens of Philippi were actually citizens of Rome. So imagine if, for example, Sudbury, Ontario, even though it exists in Canada, were actually an American city right in Canada. Well, that's the idea behind it. This matter of citizenship was highly prized in Philippi. It was the Roman Emperor Augustus who had conferred on that city the title colony of Rome. And it was this title that appeared on coins coming from Philippi. That meant that the colonists or the Philippian citizens enjoyed the same rights and privileges as if their land was actually on Italian soil. And that led to a huge pride in the city. 
which included buildings that looked Roman. The population dressed Roman. They stopped speaking Greek, at least some of them did, and spoke Latin. They were Roman. They were an outpost colony of Rome. And it is this reality, I think using it as an analogy, which Paul wants to impress on his Philippian brothers and sisters. Once they are in Christ and had formed into a church, they were an outpost colony of the kingdom of heaven. You know, back in 2012, the U.S. Embassy in Benghazi, Libya, was attacked. And as you may remember, that attack resulted in the death of the American ambassador along with three others. As has been said more than once, that embassy is actually legally American soil so that an attack on it is actually the same as an attack on American soil. Now, did you know that embassies are in fact an outpost of the country they represent? And with that comes an image. Attacking an embassy is not a way of saying, get out of our country. No, it's attacking the country itself. It's as if you sent troops onto U.S. soil and mounted an attack. And that's why some Americans are still outraged. That attack on U.S. soil was left without a response. Now, stop and consider what we're saying. How you and I see ourselves determines how we live. If you think of yourself as a Canadian or maybe an American or as an immigrant who ended up here, who just also happens to be a Christian, you've said that your faith defines an aspect of your life. You're a Canadian or an American who happens to be a Christian. But listen to Paul's description of the Christian life in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20. Therefore, he says, we are ambassadors for Christ. I hope you see the image. You're not only citizens of a different country, you are ambassadors here in Canada, communicating the message of the king of your country, the kingdom of heaven, to the citizens of this country. That's who you are. Your citizenship is in heaven. And if that's so, with citizenship comes a set of obligations. That's why Paul begins this section by saying, only let your manner of life or your citizenship be worthy of the gospel of Christ, our country the place where we are citizens, the kingdom of heaven, the place where we belong, is a very different country than the one we happen to live in. We have different values and different practices and different cultural norms. Our ethics are so much different from Canadian or American ethics. Of course, that's not unusual, is it? If you're an immigrant to Canada from a different country, no doubt the language here is different. Perhaps we drive on the wrong side of the road and and wear different clothes and have strange customs. For instance, when someone greets someone in this country, we often say, how are you doing? Now, Now, we really don't want to know the answer to that question at all, even though we ask it. The answer to that question, how are you doing, even if you have leprosy, is I'm doing fine. How are you doing actually means hello, and it's not a question about your welfare. And your response, fine, really means hello, right back to you. See how strange some cultures are? Now, says Paul, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, living this outpost of the kingdom, don't lose your cultural identity and adopt the ways of North Americans or Philippians or citizens of Rome. See, what kind of things does Paul have in mind? Well, that's what the rest of this letter is all about. So, for instance, in chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. That's a very different culture than the one in Philippi or in North America that reflects the culture of the kingdom of heaven. So act as citizens of your country. Now, the context of our passage is interesting. 
I mean, this outpost colony of the kingdom of, of God in Philippi is under attack. Paul speaks of being frightened by your opponents. The kingdom of Rome wants the citizens of the kingdom of heaven out of Philippi. They want you destroyed. They want to burn your embassy to the ground, just like Paul, who has been thrown into prison in Rome. So the Philippian believers are also suffering persecution in Philippi. They find that their country, their outpost colony of heaven, their embassy is under attack. So what are they to do? Well, first, in that last part of verse 27, and then going on to verse 28, Paul says, I want to hear from you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Paul says he's looking for three things from them. The first of these is found in verse 27. He wants to hear that they are standing firm in one spirit. Now, does in one spirit mean that they are to stand firm in unity with each other, or does it mean that they should stand firm in the Holy Spirit? I think that Paul means the Holy Spirit, and I'll tell you why. In every other place in his letters where Paul uses the phrase, in one spirit, he always refers to the Holy Spirit. I have no reason to think it's different here. So here's what I think Paul is saying. In the present situation, where you're encountering persecution, I want you to stand strong, but not by your own power, but in the Holy Spirit. Now, this is completely in line with what Paul himself had anticipated. You remember that Paul was looking forward to entering into the courtroom of Caesar's tribunal, and as he was thinking of it, he was expressing great joy. For the Holy Spirit would give him courage right there as he explained the gospel to those officials and told them what he wanted to say. Now, Paul thinks that's going to happen to the Philippians as well as they face their own trial in Philippi. Stand firm. Don't be moved. Don't be frightened. And keep it up by the power that the Holy Spirit gives you. Now, when we come back, we're going to see more about what Paul wants these believers to do in the hour of their trial. When we think of ourselves as citizens, we often refer to our nationalities or our cultures. But as Paul reminds these believers and us, as Christians, we are much more citizens of heaven. This is what ultimately unites us as the church and gives us our identity. It also helps us deal with and understand how God calls us to live in the midst of a world that is not our own. After the break, Dr. Neufeld teaches us on how we can remain true to our citizenship and be bold witnesses for Christ. Have you made plans to join us April 24th to May 2nd, 2022 for the next Israel experience? Maybe you're holding back and we understand so we've made it easier to register and easy to be refunded if for some reason we're unable to travel. So don't hesitate, register before the limited space is sold out. Join Dr. John Newfeld, Laugh-A-Gain's Phil Calloway, recently confirmed musical artist Laura Hastings, and the Back to the Bible Canada team. Travel to the Holy Land where Jesus, Paul, and David walked. Visit the Jordan River, David's royal palace, sail the Sea of Galilee, commune, at the garden tomb. A past sojourner wrote, the thoughts ran deep, but what a joyous time we had together. Trip of a lifetime. While the full Israel itinerary is now available, 
So for more information or to support this Bible teaching ministry, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit our events page at backtothebible.ca. Paul has been telling the Philippian believers first that they must stand firm in the power of the Holy Spirit. Then second, he tells them that they must advance the gospel corporately. Look at the last part of verse 27. With one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Notice that Paul gives two pictures of what he means. The first is with one mind. He wants them to make sure that they're not disagreeing with each other. Later on, when Paul gets specific, he will speak of two women to agree with each other in the Lord. Next, he gives the image of warfare. Imagine soldiers on the battlefield. It's important that no one breaks ranks. So if you're going to advance the gospel, it has to be a joint effort, side by side. Then in verse 28, not frightened in anything by your opponents. Here we now see that the Philippian church had opponents, and that's not surprising. When Paul first arrived in Philippi, he cast a demon out of a slave girl. You remember, this poor demonized girl had a spirit of divination. She could tell fortunes through the power of the demon that lived in her. Paul exercised the demon, and the owners of this girl, who made money from her demonic power, well, they were furious. So they dragged Paul to the court along with Silas, and they made charges against them. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And they're probably saying, these men are not tolerant of our religious practices, and that violates Roman law to tolerate all religions. Paul and Silas were found guilty and whipped and thrown into prison. And Paul then wrote from 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 2, and I'm quoting here, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. See, I have no doubt the Philippian church felt the same pressure Paul did. Remember, they're an outpost colony, and as such, all citizens of Rome are required to swear allegiance to Caesar as Lord. No doubt the trade guilds that many Christians would have been a part of demanded one go to the temple and pour out libations to a god or a goddess. Christians couldn't do that. In fact, not worshiping the various gods in itself was seen as an unpatriotic negligence of duty. Now, here's what would have happened. Once you became a Christian, people may have started boycotting your business. They may accuse you of treason. They start saying you're disobeying Roman law. And as an outpost colony of the kingdom of heaven, Christians who represent a different country must first stand in the grace of the Holy Spirit and second must advance the gospel corporately, and third, must lose the intimidation factor. Just like Paul in prison in Rome, don't be intimidated, but rather recognize that now is a great time to share the gospel with others. See, we need to talk. If the truth be known, Canada, which has laws to protect our right to evangelize, still intimidates many of us. We're allowed to talk about the weather and sports and and the shortcomings of our government and our vacation plans, but we're not supposed to talk about the grace of Jesus in the public square. You know, we can mention it in church, but not out at work, not in the neighborhood, not when shopping. 
And we, like the Philippians, just need to lose that intimidation factor. We are ambassadors for Christ. See, when you talk to someone about something good that's happened to you, you don't have to say that you're lucky. You can say in ordinary conversations, you can say that you know that God has mercifully blessed you. And when you talk about the weather, you can confidently say that the creator of this world holds the wind and the rain in the palm of his hand. And when someone says, how are you? You can say, well, I'm blessed. You can let everyone know your citizenship. You don't need to be intimidated. You can stop being intimidated right now and be an ambassador for your true nation, the kingdom of heaven. You know, we've been talking about what citizens must remember and what citizens must do, but let's end up talking about what citizens of heaven must know. Look again at verse 28. And not frightened in anything by your opponents, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. You know, one may read this and wonder how the courage of believers might make unbelievers think that they're going to be destroyed. But I understand this verse in the context of ancient Rome. In that ancient world, the idea of omens were especially common. The Romans tried to attach meaning to any unusual phenomenon that occurred. In their worldview, unusual, unexpected things were omens of something sinister and bad. So Paul is saying that when you act without intimidation, standing in the grace of the Spirit, unified with your church family, the Romans will see this as an evil omen that they cannot succeed against you and that you will prevail in the end. But for us, Christians, that which is an omen of evil to some means something different to us. And you see how Paul uses the word salvation here. It's the same word he used in his own very difficult situation back in chapter 1, verse 19, where he says, this, meaning the help of the Holy Spirit at his trial, this will turn out for my deliverance or for my salvation and for the Philippians. Their boldness will be infectious. Other believers will say, the Philippian Christians lack of fear in the face of Roman intimidation must mean if God is for us, who can be against us? Other Christians will see their courage as a sign that God is giving them the Holy Spirit and his power not to be intimidated. And here's the point of application. Courage is significant. Never, 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 never underestimate the man or woman who is not intimidated to stand for Christ, who is willing to share the gospel wherever they are. And then, following on the heels of that command to remain courageous comes one of the most incredible verses in the Bible. Verse 29 reads, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Now here, allow your worldview to be shattered. For the believer, the opposition from this world is actually a gracious gift from God. The word translated as granted can also be translated as generously given. It means that we have received a gift that is so generous that it clearly reflects upon the goodness of the God who gave it. That is what our suffering for the gospel means. It's not just that we're suffering, you see, for all people suffer, but we are suffering for the sake of Christ. Look at it this way. Do you remember when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Now imagine what evangelism is. It is knocking down the gates of the kingdom of hell and the place where Satan guards his victims and taking victims from his kingdom and presenting them to the mercy of God. When Satan sees that, he's going to fight back with fury. See, if today you're not persecuted for your faith, it's probably because you're not doing evangelism straight out. 
But if you see yourself and your church as an outpost colony of the kingdom of heaven and as ambassadors of Christ saying to this world, be reconciled to God, then if this is our self-identity, suffering is necessary. After all, we're at war. So let's now look at verse 30. Engaged in the same conflict you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. Here's what Paul says. All this stuff that I'm going through in prison is exactly like what you're going through in Philippi. And he would say to us, all this stuff you go through when you present the gospel is exactly what I went through when I was on trial. Oh, I know the circumstances may be different, but the courage that is required, the intimidation factors that you face, well, they're just like mine. See, whenever we suffer for Christ and for his gospel, we are expressing solidarity with our brothers and sisters who have gone through the same trial before us. Whether that trial includes physical imprisonment or merely intimidation, we face the same trial. Paul, the Philippian church, Christians in persecuted lands, and you and I seeking to share the gospel in our country have one thing in common. We are an outpost colony of the kingdom of heaven. We are ambassadors for Christ. That has been our unique privilege. John, this is a great and a challenging message. I mean, I think you're right. You know, we're, we're, we're citizens of heaven. We're, we're detached from this world. We're supposed to be living for another world. We're not supposed to be intimidated. And yet I'm still fearful. I'm fearful of the conflict it may cause or the relationships it might put into jeopardy. Uh, how do I deal with that? Ben, I have a sense that in our country, the greatest fear is internal. I mean, many times when I've begun to share the gospel, I know there are exceptions to this, but most of the time there has been an openness. I think the ability to simply break into the conversation is the biggest intimidation factor that we feel. But sometimes when we do, it's remarkable to me how open individuals are. It's as if the Holy Spirit has already been preparing them for the conversation in the past, and it just opens up a series of questions and a dialogue that may open a relationship to a, a new dimension we've never had before. I think our biggest fear in this country is just simply broaching the subject. I mean, I know that sometimes we don't know how to do that. And I do know that there are those individuals who desperately don't want to hear that exists. But most of my experience tells me that once we begin and find a way to gently begin, we will be amazed at how wonderful that experience was. So let me encourage those of you who have never done it. Just go and try. Thanks, John. Well, that's the conclusion of our series, Lessons for the Church. But join us again next week as we continue to study the Word of God right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. The church was created to be God's instrument to declare the gospel to a fallen world. In Dr. Neufeld's series, Lessons for the Church, discover more about the purposes of the church and how God has equipped His church for service. Lessons for the Church is our free CD resource this month to encourage and equip God's people. Request your copy or listen online, podcast, or download the Back to the Bible Canada mobile app. Making Bible teaching you can trust available is central to our mission, and it makes a difference. Rob wrote, Back to the Bible Canada has become even more of a blessing since I relocated. I have grown so much, and the ministry has been a lifeline during this time of transition. 
Thanks so much for your encouragement. For more information or to request your free CD copy of Lessons for the Church, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.